expand your worldview because there's the aspect of watching planet Earth at home and, and, and thinking, okay, I've seen it, I understand it. There's the difference between being in it. And there's really nothing that can compare to going out and exploring these wild places. Real quick note, my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. And frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails. And we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com cruise. That's benleads.com cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Ben Maroff, who is an expedition leader for UnCruise Adventures, having led over 100 successful trips in Alaska for approximately 6,500 guests. Now, if you're not familiar with UnCruise, well, you should be. They are the small ship cruising line that connects guests with nature and wildlife or exploring some of the most remote and scenic destinations on the West Coast of the Americas, including Alaska, Baja, and Hawaii. My family I, and I had such an incredible experience that when I got back, I immediately invited them to become a sponsor of Lay the Team. And man, I was delighted when they agreed. Now, back to Ben here, you're going to get an incredible interviewed experience to peek behind the curtain on what it's like to be one of the most well-known expedition leaders over at Uncruise and in the industry. And Ben's pioneered new locations for expeditions across Southeast Alaska and also focuses on creating a positive workplace ethic on board. You may not realize, hey, there are group dynamics going on on the ship. But yes, Ben is leading that. And last summer, Ben actually got to bring his mom and dad on the trip. Let's dive into that. Ben, welcome to lead the team. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, so, excited, to, excited to chat with you. So what was it like? Getting to bring, so you've got all a hundred successful trips in Alaska, sixty five hundred guests, none more important than your parents. What was that like? Yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was kind of scary, honestly, because you know we've got these, we're out there in the middle of nowhere, and I care equally for every single guest, right? But uh, when my folks came on board after me trying to get them there for years, it was the pressure kind of went up a little bit, and. I always had this like 
inkling in the back of my mind. I'm like, God, like the week that they come on, it's going to be like pouring rain all week and something's going to go wrong. And like, it's just, I was nervous. And so they showed up to get on the boat in Sitka, Alaska. And it was the uh, wettest day of the summer. There was, uh, I think, three inches of rain in 12 hours. So it was just like, they show up, (laughs) it's pouring rain. And we uh, got out there and day one, we are out and I'm, you know, I'm taking my folks out on a, on a kayak in the back of this bay called Ushk Bay. And it was in, in August, mid-August. So perfect time for, for the salmon run and it's a little easier to find bears at that time of the year, because rather than being spread out all over the place within the intertidal, they're more focused on their main diet for the year, which is salmon. And so I'm thinking, okay, let's try and go find some bears and at least go look at the salmon. It's pouring rain and we're out paddling around. And uh, my, my mom had kind of injured her wrist a few months before. And so she was going to test how she was feeling in the kayak. And uh, we get out there. It's me, my folks, you know, six other people, nice small group. And we're paddling. And as I turn around the first time to, to check to see how the group is doing, you know, when I turn around and I see my mom and dad and my dad is in the front paddling, you know, his little heart out. And my mom is in the back. Uh, the first time I've ever seen anybody in Southeast Alaska use an umbrella because <laughs> um, her wrist wasn't feeling good. And my dad said he could do it. So she's sitting in the back oh. w- with an umbrella in the rain as my dad is paddling. We're going upstream. And so it's like Mary big, Poppins in Alaska. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, I've never, never, ever, ever seen anybody <laughs> bring and or use an umbrella in Alaska. And of course, the first person to do it was my mother out on a kayak. Oh. And uh, so we're paddling upstream. And we have these talks with everyone before we go out about bear safety because, you know, the bears that we see while they're traditionally not habituated, they don't really recognize humans as anything to be afraid of or interested in. You know, they're still bears and they're curious, intelligent creatures. And so we have this talk, you know, if we do happen to see a bear, please, you know, listen to everything I say, come close to me. And uh, we're paddling upstream. We get to about as far up as we can go before it starts to get a little shallow. We're looking at salmon. Um, there's no bear. That's okay. We've got the rest of the week to find bears. And uh, so I decided to turn around. We're going to make our way out of this little river. And we turn around. We're paddling. And I get a call on the radio from another one of my guides that was on the meadow on the far side from where we were. And she just says, hey, Ben. I said, yep, go ahead. She says, turn around. And I turn around. And there's a bear walking on the bank of the stream towards my kayakers at kind of a rapid pace Mm. and so you know we're still like 10 feet down vertically from where the bear is and you know 50 feet away so and we're in the water so it's a decently safe scenario um so i just call and i turn to everyone i say hey everyone um you know come towards me we've got a bear back there and of course the first thing my parents do while the other three groups are diligently paddling towards me, first thing my parents do is turn around to see the bear and start paddling towards it. <laughs> so I had to have a uh, you know a stern conversation with <laughs> with my folks, reprimanding them for their conduct, and that was how the trip Mom started. Mom and Dad, we want you to be able to come back. Exactly, you know. Exactly. So they're you know they're they're already <laughs> thinking they're they're ahead of the cream of the crop. But so that was the start of our week. The rest of the week went great. It was an amazing time. That, that's so funny. Yeah, I invite my I my parents there, and they're not cautious. They're throwing caution to the wind. They're going right up to the bear. Indeed. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. We're going like, to see more of them. <laughs> and they're the 
Yeah, they're the people you're like, you know, I, I, you dis, you, I, you had disciplined me as a kid, and now the roles are reversed. Now Indeed. you're in the penalty box. Oh, wow. reparations. Yeah. And so that demonstrates one of the challenges of being a guide. But what's one of the more challenging things about being a guide or exhibition leader when it's not your parents with you? Definitely. I think that the most complicated part of guiding is not the physical aspect of actually getting out there and planning a route and determining where you want to go, but rather taking the resources that Alaska gives you when you're on land and keeping that engaging. Because Mm -hmm. there are days in the spring, the summer, it doesn't matter when you're there, when you get out there and you've got these big ideas as to what you might find, what you might see, Mm-hmm. And and nothing shows up. You know, people are are coming to Alaska because when they look at, you know, the marketing for what is Alaska, they see they see bears, they see whales, they see eagles, they see incredible, stunning experiences. Yes. And while we strive to give people those experiences on every single op that we go out on, you know, every trip, it's it's not always the case that that's what we see. You know, there's not just bears yeah. and it whales. Ain't Disney World people. Exactly. It's not like it's not okay, Ben's in the out in the bush and snaps his fingers. All right, bears on demand. Get exactly. close, but not too close, or people won't paddle up to you. Exactly. So I think the most challenging thing is taking these little, kind of otherwise boring things for some folks and making them really interesting. Right? Like, why is this specific plant that is here in the intertidal fascinating? Why is this different? Why should you know about this? And how does you know this blue muscle? that we see here. That's just this like sessile creature. That's not going anywhere. Why does this have an important role to play in the greater ecosystem of Alaska? How does this play into, you know, the otter population and transitioning the conversation from um, something that could be kind of boring from just a layman's perspective and a really basic perspective. How can you weave a story to make this experience interesting for someone for, you know, three hours while you're out there? How do you create an interesting experience when what yeah. you're dealing with is unexpected or potentially, you know, limited. And yeah. uh, I think that's, that's challenging, but it's also what makes the job really fun when you can create those experiences out you know, of nothing. I love that. And we know what it reminds me of is ordering wine in a restaurant, sommelier. Like, you know what? That's a $70 bottle of wine. I would never spend that kind of money on a bottle of wine. But then the sommelier comes out and they're like, let me tell you, about those grapes that went into that. <laughs> they were on this hill. You know, those vines were brought over from France. Like, and then you appreciate it and it increases the value of the experience and offering those distinctions you only get with an expert. And I think, you know, for us, and like when we had our own cruise experience, we saw everything that you mentioned in an astounding way. But there were moments where we didn't, and the guides we had really did a great job of that. And it made me appreciate what I was seeing, the vegetation, in a completely different way. And having those distinctions, I mean, maybe we're going to change your expedition leader to sommelier of Alaska. Like That's kind of how it is. You know, you're making very intangible things tangible, and you're talking about how everything that's up there is connected. And, and if it weren't for every single part and piece of that ecosystem, it wouldn't exist in the way that it does. And, um, and that's why people show up there. And then, and that's where the educational part is, is really so much fun, right? If you want 
yeah, you can go to Disney World and do the rides, but you, when you go to Alaska, you experience or in nature in general, you know, with an expert, with the right people, it just opens your world up to so many things that you can appreciate. Different. Yeah, it's the educational aspect, and I think that's important part of the job too. You know, if we if we bring people up there and don't teach them why this place is important, we're not doing our jobs right. Because it's the the ecosystem itself that like that space has value intrinsically, you know, regardless of ecotourism, regardless of any sort of, you know, logging and fishing and, and mm-hmm. economic value that that place has. The place has value outside of that, just from a natural perspective to the planet. You know, it's really important that it exists in the way that it does. And if we don't leave people understanding that at the end of their week, I, I think we haven't done our job. That's part of leadership is helping people understand the why, the bigger picture. And uh, man, I love the fact that you guys take that on. Now, thinking about challenges, I love this idea of thinking about leading people. Like we lead at work of varied skill levels at their job. But when you're leading people on an expedition of various ability levels uh, and knowledge levels, how do you handle it? It starts kind of at the at the top where we, you know, each week my job as expedition leader is to create a unique itinerary to that week. You know, if you were to go on on a trip with us, every single week is going to look different. Yes, the itineraries are built around certain places, right? Like every week my boat goes into Glacier Bay National Park and we see Lamplu Glacier, Marjorie Glacier, Johns Hopkins Glacier. We're hitting a few hot spots every single week no matter what. But beyond that, we are creating these experiences based on what Alaska is providing us at that time of year. So in the Mm. spring, I'm going to be going to different places. In the summer, I'm going to be going to different places. In the fall, I'm going to be going to different places based on kind of what's hot at the time. And so it starts at that really broad, high angle view of Alaska and, and picking locations that are going to be able to offer different levels of activity to anybody coming on the boat. Um, the boat that I have been on, the the Safari Endeavor, is you know I'll have eighty people on board per week, and I have to be able to create a plan that's going to ca- cater to every single person's individual ability level, skill level. You know, we've got people from two years old to to ninety five years old yeah. who are coming, which on these is something trips. cool about your cruises. All generation. Yeah, they're very family oriented. You know, we've got we've got something for everybody is the idea. So after we create the itinerary for the week, then the day to day job is figuring out, okay, what is the weather giving us? What critters are out there? Right. If we do have bubble netting whales in the area, you know, rather than go put people on land. Right. We might just kind of drop everything, put everyone in skiffs or in kayaks and get people to go see those incredible things. But the day-to-day, what it looks like from my my job's perspective as an expedition leader is creating options for everybody. So my sort of standard as an expedition leader is I'll do something that's a little easier on land, something that's a little harder on land. So we might do a shore walk or what I like to call an eco-meander where you're working through different ecosystems. That's at a slower pace that mm-hmm. anybody who feels comfortable just walking on land can go and do an experience. And those are going to be more interpretive, more conversational with your guide. And then a harder option on land might be a, a bushwhack where you're heading out for, you know, three, three and a half hours tracing through the woods. Oh, they're incredible experiences. Although some of those got pretty challenging. 
which is the idea, right? Like our goal <laughs> as guides, it, it, when we tell you, you know, we're taking you out on a bushwhack, the way we pitch it is it's supposed to be hard. Yeah. It's supposed to push you, but it's also supposed to be rewarding at the end of the day where you get done with one of those experiences. You're like, man, that pushed me a little bit, but didn't take me totally out of my comfort zone. Maybe it pushed me a little out of my comfort yeah. zone, but I, I made it back. I saw some cool things. I experienced the woods of Alaska in a way that I wouldn't be able to do where I have gone on that shore walk. So offering you know, two different things on land, maybe three different things on land, and then two different things on water. We have the, the benefit on these boats of being able to carry a lot of stuff with us, right? You know, the vessel I was working on is 230 feet long. So a lot of space. We've got you know, four small boats, skiffs and pontoons, where if folks are feeling like they want to get out and see things from the water, but they're you know, maybe a little tired that day, they can go out for a skiff ride. You're just sitting on a small boat seeing what you can see. Also very interpretation focused with the guide, a lot of conversation mm -hmm. back and forth about what you're seeing. A little less movement, but that's okay. That's the goal. And then going out for a kayak where you might be going paddling four, five, six miles. In a when kayak, was the time a you had like a, like a situation where you're like, you know what? These ability levels are so, like maybe you're on like you bushwhack or something else and the ability levels are so divergent. How am I going to make magic with this? So that really comes down to good interpretation because that happens all of the time, especially early in the week. You know, we let folks know, hey, we're th this bushwhack is going to be a 10 out of 10 difficulty. We're trying to let people know that it is the real deal. It is tough. It is hard. It is challenging. There are no trails. We are just going into the woods with a map and our GPS and what we've got in terms of the knowledge in our minds of that local area. And it, you do often have very diverging skill sets who sign up for something like that and what you do in that case is, is you have to use good interpretation to make that experience engaging no matter what. Whether you're going two miles with a group of hard chargers who are like really with it and just want to get out there and, and crush it through the woods, or you're going a half mile in three hours and you do have those people who are really like hard charger folk. And then you've got, you know, two or three people who maybe shouldn't have signed up for the bushwhack, but are there anyways. You still need to provide an interesting experience for those people. And that comes down to interpretation and keeping people engaged mentally. Because if you can keep folks' brains going, that is the key to a good experience. If people are having an engaged, good time, they will forget about the fact that, you know, this was pitched as a hard charger because they're yes. so like captured by what you are saying and are so interested in the stories that you're weaving about this space. And, and that's kind of the gap between the ability levels is, is good interpretation. Yeah, that's great. A great leader can do that. Synthesize a picture, help people's deeper appreciation. I'm even making, yeah, thinking about my own team. Like sometimes the work can be difficult and menial and you've got to help people find the meaning in it. Don't make them guess. And yep, on an exactly. expedition, make them do it. I, and I was thinking, I was thinking about, Something that a mutual person we know, Kelly, who was a guide on our, our ship and you trained, she said something about type one and type two fun. Yeah. Type one, <laughs> wait, do you want to, do you want to explain it? Oh, I'm yeah, intimately familiar with type one, type two, and there's type three fun too. Okay. Um, tell us, we try, tell us we try and strive guys. to avoid type three fun on our trips, but type one fun is where it's fun. Then it's fun in the moment. It's fun when you look back at it, you know? you're having a good time. It's a perfect kayak, essentially. You know, you're going out there, you're paddling around, beautiful blue day in Alaska, You and you see a humpback whale breach right in front of you. You're out there watching it for two hours. You see, you know, bald eagles flying over, some sea lions, you paddle back to the boat. It's like the perfect experience. It's fun the whole time. Type two fun is where you're going out there, 
you are maybe pushing your comfort levels a little bit. You are maybe not seeing as much as you thought you were going to see, but you're still interested. You're still engaged, but potentially like a little bit nervous about what you're doing. Um, Cause it is the wilds of Southeast Alaska. But by the time you make it back, you know, you, you get back to the boat, you have a cocktail, you eat dinner and you start talking with someone about the experience that you had that afternoon. And you realize that, you know, it was a really good time. It was interesting, even though it didn't feel like it then in the moment and then type type three fun which is kind of my off-season speed is uh you go out you do something it's horrible it, it feels painful and uh you know like going out mountaineering or on a big ski day or climbing and everything goes wrong and uh you know you're off route and it, it's fun a year later when you look back at it you're like yeah i would go do that again even though you know the next day you're like oh, i will God. never do that again so you're trying so, to stay in the stay at the zone too as much as possible give them sprinkle on the one the ones is yeah. quite easier for you to achieve i mean zone so one's we, ideal right we That's had a couple ideal. of type twos and it was it was the best part of our trip to be honest we loved it That's uh, right. i grabbed the devil's club a couple times you know mm. that kind of deal uh, and if those of you don't know what devil's club is look it up but it feels like you're literally grabbing the club of the devil when you grab it because it's all these thorns and whatnot. That's a wonderful experience. Good explanation there. Thanks, Ben. Are you looking to increase sales, grow your brand, and share your leadership message? Then check out our business podcast program. Each week, more people listen to podcasts that have Netflix accounts, and one-third of the U.S. population listens to podcasts regularly. So, your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com schedule. That's benleads.com schedule. So what are the essential leadership behaviors when you're leading people and then you encounter danger? And maybe you show us, tell us a time when that happened. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point I've been on land with over a thousand bears within a hundred yards of me. And, and that is something that we really stress when we get onto a boat with a group of new folks who are out here and, and trying to experience these things and, and see bears, right? We, they want to go and see these incredible creatures that are yes. really powerful, extraordinary things. But, you know, a bear versus a human is, uh, it's not a competition. Bear's going to win. So the biggest thing is really maintaining a sense of calm and control over the situation. Because mm. in scenarios where there is any sort of crisis or potential danger, and you are the de facto leader of a group, the feelings and the emotions of the group are going to totally flow from what you are feeling and experiencing and portraying. So that's the key is to, is to stay calm, stay controlled. And of, you know, after leading as many trips as I've led and having as many experiences with bears as I've had on land, I've never ever had a negative interaction with a bear. We, we carry bear spray with us. All of our guides have two cans of bear spray. I've, I've never discharged it. Going back to a specific experience, I was with with my folks, and we were at this really beautiful area called Kaznaku Bay. And there's a salmon stream there that is a it's it's a huge huge run. Tons of different salmon are going up this specific run, and it's almost a guarantee when you go visit this spot that you're going to see bears. And so I had planned it for the week. My my folks were going to be on board. 
And I said, Hey, you guys really should go do this, this walk here with me. You're going to enjoy it. Hopefully we'll see some bears. And we get there and there's like 17 bears at this one location. And when there's that many bears in one spot, it's different than you and a group with one bear that's in a meadow a hundred yards away, right? We're 25, 50 yards away, maybe from these bears. Um, and there's 17 of them. And at this point, rather than it being a conversation between you and one bear, what you're experiencing is that the bears don't really care about you. They care about the other bears in that space because you are not a threat to the bear, but the other bears are. And so we're watching a mom with three cubs who is definitely kind of the alpha female in this little area. You can tell that when she moves into a space, the other bears that are there vacate that space and allow her to to do what she wants to do. Mm. And so, and then there's, you know, you've got these sub-adult males who are a little nervous around this big female. You've got these big males that are a little less nervous and you're watching all these interactions take place. And so we're standing there at this stream, we're watching these bears do their thing. And uh, all of a sudden this big mom decides she's going to go walk in a certain direction where there's another mom with two spring cubs and spring cubs uh, cubs stay with their mom for three years or so. And, and the size of the cubs varies greatly over those three years, as you can imagine, spring cubs are the smallest. They're, you know, the size of a cocker spaniel and there's a mom with two spring cubs and the big mom with her three, probably one to two year old cubs moves in this mom's direction. And mom with the spring cubs gets very nervous and decides to take off across the stream directly towards where me and my parents and then the rest of us are all standing. And in that situation, I, I, you know, my dad talks about this and I don't even remember doing it, but we were already grouped up like we should be where I'm kind of standing in front. The guests are behind me. So it's, you know, me, the guests, me, the bears, and the second that mom starts running right towards us, because she's just afraid of this big mom, right? She's not coming for us. She's just afraid. My dad tells me, because I sort of you know, don't even think about this, that I just stepped forward onto a rock to make myself look sort of big and, and grabbed my bear spray and just held it. And the mom kind of just kept moving towards us and then just went her own way, right? Like she didn't want to mess with us. But that sort of sense of calm and just like control in a situation rather than me backing up and in, in portraying nervousness, mm. um, stepping forward and portraying, you know, this is a, this is a controlled situation. I know what I'm doing. You guys are fine. Just stay behind me. I've got the bear spray all as well is I think, uh, something that we teach our guides to do, but it's something that can be really challenging in the moment, right? Like it is, that is a, a 800 pound creature that is rambling yeah. towards you at 25 miles. Adrenaline's hour. pumping. Yeah, adrenaline's pumping and and for you and them. Both, yeah. Both. And you just have to maintain that, you know, you know what you're doing. You rely, you fall back right onto your training. We receive really amazing training and kind of bare maintenance is a good way of putting it at the beginning of the season. And you just fall back on that and rely on your instincts. And again, yeah, never had a negative interaction with the bear on land or at sea. So you were essentially you were charged by a bear. And you stood your ground, you fell back on your training and the bear diverted like, like you would think they would. Everybody's safe. And you didn't even think about it in the moment because you're like, this is just what we do. 
and your parents were like, that's my son. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to look at their perspective of, of that situation. Because for me, it felt like pretty normal for them, obviously, having, you know, being in the proximity of that many bears and having one moving towards you is an abnormal or rare experience. That and uh, well, yeah, so it's, it's kind of looking at it from from their view. And uh, it makes you appreciate what you get to do on a day to day basis as a guide up there, because those experiences are pretty wild. And And for us, it's like, this is just what we do for other folks. It's it's yeah, a really unique experience. It's a once in a lifetime sort yeah. of thing. Indeed. One experience. Now imagine you've had to learn some lessons the hard way. What's the story that illustrates that? Man, that comes back to to planning, planning, planning. Um, my first year as an expedition leader, we, I guess I'll cycle to this this last season. We have this brand new thing on our boats that's incredible. It's amazing. It's it's access to this brand new technology called the internet. Um, we hadn't had it for the entirety of my career at Uncruise really in any sort of consistency until last year. And so a failure that I had when I was starting was not really being able to plan adequately for weather because our weather reports would come in intermittently from NOAA, from like really broad areas, right? Like it would just give us the whole forecast for South Chatham Strait or for Cross Sound. And so you're planning to the best case scenario, but it's not always what's happening. And for me, I ran into my first year as an expedition leader, a lot of changes of plans because of, of the weather. And I learned through those experiences, you know, because we would show up to a bay and the forecast would be calling for, you know, winds from from the east at five knots or something like that, which is great for this specific area. And we'd show up and it'd be blowing 25 from the west and we'd have to move. And then mm -hmm. we would get to a different bay that I thought would be good and it wasn't, we'd have to move. And then you've got, you know, your whole morning that you had planned out uh, just turns into a critter cruise looking for whales and bears from the big boat, which is fun and exciting for, you know, for our guests, but isn't the, the plan for the day. And that's okay. Something you have to kind of work around. And so learning to create backups to backups to backups mm. um, and being able to have all of your options set out in front of you so that you can make like really quick decisions on the fly and know based on this past failure that if the wind is really blowing strong out of here, that this location is going to be for sure protected and creating shifting itineraries based on weather because the weather mm -hmm. in Southeast Alaska is incredibly variable is something that I had to learn the hard way for sure. And the advent of of Starlink access on our vessels over the last year has been a real godsend for us. We can get Although real they time. Don't give that to the guest. Absolutely not. No, that would I think completely ruin the experience of of traveling well, in Southeast. Well, Alaska. we interviewed and it, and for our guest, I interviewed Dan Black, Captain Dan Blanchard, who's the founder, and he he told a story on there, and I encourage people to go back and listen to it. But he said they tried it, giving Wi-Fi internet access to the guest. And he said, we, people just disappeared at night into their room. They weren't meeting, they weren't talking. And as soon as we turned that back off, everybody came together again. You and see, I it, love you the see. people that we met on the cruise. That Those were some of the great, greatest people, you know, great people. That's totally part of the experience. You have a group of like-minded individuals from all over the world who are traveling to see the same stuff in Southeast Alaska. So the chances that you're going to become friends with them or that you're going to be interested in their stories is, is really high. And we see 
that the second we're traveling past an area that has cell reception, you see the shift on the boat where everyone's sitting in a lounge on their phones. It's quiet. No one's talking. The second that reception disappears, people are meeting new new folks. They are creating relationships like lifelong friends form on these trips in unexpected ways, you know. And so I think limiting that access is is part of the experience. You know, we are out here to see Alaska and to experience Alaska. And every moment that we spend, even on the boat where we're just transiting between locations is still an opportunity to experience Alaska. You, you see incredible things. You're, you're, you're in this beautiful place. Pay attention to it, right? You came here to, to see this. You didn't come here to check your work email. Love and, that. Love yeah. it. Man. And you're right. It for, you're forcing yourself to stay in the experience. And it's so much richer when you do that. Yeah, y'all. So for the listeners, we said take a quick pause. And Ben says to me, Ben, we need to take a quick pause because my dog has these buttons she pushes <laughs> and she just pushed one. And I'm like, what? Tell me. So what are you talking about? So this, this is a little like side conversation, but indeed. What, what yeah. are the buttons? So this is we can relate this because my dog is uh I, I adopted her when she was two. She is a she's an Alaskan Malamute. So here we go. We've got our Alaska theme. And a Siberian Husky mix. Her name is Juno, and she's wonderful, an incredible, incredible creature. And uh, she has these buttons that she pushes to ask for things. So right now, I've got a few set up. Um, one is for for her walk, which she's working on right now. But the one she's most familiar with is her patio button, where she pushes a button and it says, "Dad, let me outside," and uh, I have to go open the door and let her out. Okay, I like this. I've heard about the bell. Th- like nosing with the bell to get your dog. The dog wants to go outside. Our dog is a Shih Tzu, and we have not even been able to get in that neighborhood <laughs> uh, of, of training. But I appreciate that, and it is, it does tie in perfectly with this whole conversation with animals. And it make it would make sense that you're a animal lover. Oh yeah, she's the uh, best. And what you're doing there. So keeping a positive mental attitude even in the despite of challenging times, what do you do when someone is struggling with the experience and may be affecting the experience of others on the expedition? Yeah, that is a tough thing to do. And and it falls back on, you know, some of those experiences. While for you as a guide for half the group, it might be that type one fun, right? Like folks are engaged. They're loving it. um, They're excited. But for someone who is not having a good time, you know, you might be out there on a shore walk in the pouring rain and this person is is here. They're excited to see Alaska, mm-hmm. but they, you know, they are not ready. They, they might be from a warm climate, right? They're not ready for the fact that it is 45 degrees out and it has been pouring rain for four days in a row. And they're out on, uh, you know, another expedition with someone and their their rain gear from yesterday is still wet. And, and you have to provide that person with a really engaging experience. And the best way to, to do that is not only to, it's not that you're catering to that individual person, but rather that you're creating an experience that you know is going to bring them into the fold. And it really does fall back again on interpretation and on creating, on engaging someone's mind in a way that distracts them from the fact that they are not physically comfortable being there, whether it's cold or wet. And that's, that's tough to do. Like, that's a really hard thing to do, man. Have I been on a lot of skip tours where it is 
just blowing 30 knots and pouring rain and the bears are not even out. Right. They're like, they're, they're, they're hunkered down because it is, it is gross outside. The Eagles aren't flying because they are soaked. Um, <laughs> the Eagles and, and bears, like, look at those humans. What exactly, are they, what's wrong like, with them? And, and it's, it's figuring out how can you engage that person's mind in a way that is going to take them away from this place where all they can think about is the fact that they are cold. They are just ready to go back and get warm and sit in the hot tub. And how can you take this, you know, two hours, three hours that you were spending out there in what is a, not a welcoming environment, right? I mean, it is not a place that you want to spend, you know, 12 hours outside in if it's pouring rain and blowing and it's just kind of gross, how do you distract them from that and make that specific experience that you are out there doing fun and educational? I mean, that is just like really the key is good education, good interpretation. How do you divert focus from the negative to something that's positive? And it it can be a challenge. I think it comes back to a toolkit that I like to kind of provide my guides with of, of engaging people in different ways, right? Everyone learns in, in different ways. It's not just sitting there and talking to a group of people about what you're seeing, but how can you engage different senses? You know, a lot of new guides, I will say, okay, think about how you learn and how other people learn. And it all comes down to, you know, taste, touch, smell, sight, mm. and sound. And so can you structure an entire trip you know, two hours, three hours, doesn't matter around the five senses. And if you can do that, if you can provide someone with something interesting to eat that you find out there, you find some bulk help that you, you know, cut off and and feed to folks because it's this really interesting, it's really interesting part of the the Alaskan ecosystem that is, you know, edible and, and delicious and nutritious. And can you find something that smells fascinating? You know, in the spring, we've got all these beautiful flowers. Like, how can you engage someone that way? Can you sit in silence for a while and listen to the sounds of Southeast Alaska rather than the sounds of the the guide's voice droning on and on about whatever they're seeing because I'm trying to like pull teeth to make it interesting? Can you find something beautiful to look at, you know, something interesting and unique to look at? And and then can you engage people in feeling that ecosystem in a way that they didn't expect? You know, mm. I think when folks go up to Alaska, they they think bears, whales, eagles, but what they don't know that is there is these little things, the banana slug, the, uh, which is like a, you know, really yeah, strange saw, yeah. invertebrate yeah. that you see in the woods oh. the, going down and, and Alaska's a, a big old touch tank, you know, at low tide, you're pulling sea stars out to look at, you're looking at this like diverse array of life and how can you engage people, you know, in the way that they feel like they can learn. And so it's it's working through all of these different systems and and finding a way to to keep people's mind focused on not you the guide but rather on the experience that they're having. I'm ready to go back. Like everything you said, I can vouch for. And some of it was a little uncomfortable. It was cold and wet. I mean, it's Alaska, y'all. And if you want it, the best way to experience it is to get in it in a fun and safe way and have a great guy with you and, appre- and you appreciate it. You know, tying kind of starting to tie it back to our earlier part. He's like a sommelier with wine, right? You're going to get so much more out of it. If you're in it and you get a little wet, get a little muddy, but man, you appreciate it so much more. And we have, we had an experience that we'll never forget. And I want to say thanks for coming on today because you've really 
you know, th this perspective is, is incredible for people. And it makes a big difference to understand when you're going to go on a trip, you understand the, the people and their overall perspective on it. And it to make sure it's aligned with what you want. And man, what a home run. I'm going to leave the last word to you, Ben. What's your parting thought for our listeners today? Yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to these experiences, I think that it's important to remember that even though from your perspective, sitting at home, wherever you are, these experiences can sound challenging. They can sound difficult. They can sound and seem like they might be like unpleasant for someone who isn't used to being in the outdoors, who isn't, you know, doesn't consider themselves outdoorsy. I think that that's the type of person who needs to go experience a trip like this, who needs yes. to go see Southeast Alaska, who needs to go visit Hawaii, who needs to go like travel to these places and, and expand your worldview because there's the aspect of, of watching planet earth at home and, and, and thinking, okay, I've seen it. I understand it. And then there's the difference between being in it. And there's really nothing that can compare to going out and exploring these wild places and getting into them. And it's not just, you know, coming on a trip with uncruise. It's not just going and, and doing these like big vacations somewhere. It's also getting out and experiencing these things in one's own backyard that I think is really important. And the more that folks can get out and just experience the natural world, wherever they are, um, it doesn't matter where you are. There's always something beautiful around the corner. Um, the more appreciation that folks will have for this whole planet. And that's kind of my, that's why I love working where I do. That's why I love working in Southeast Alaska is because I feel like the importance of what we see, the importance of the natural world can't be understated to, you know, the future of our planet. We we need to protect these incredible places. We need to keep them the way they are because they have value for what they are. And it's not just in Alaska. It's in your very own backyard. So get out, explore, see things, appreciate things, learn new things. Thanks for coming on the show, Ben. My pleasure. Would you or your CEO be a good fit for this podcast? If you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to benleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's benleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.